0: Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hey, how's it going? Today we're talking about Do the Right Thing.
1: This is a 1989 American political commentary comedy drama. Directed by Spike Lee. The cast includes Spike Lee,
0: Gus Fring, Big Mama's Whole House, The Jesus, and Nick Fury. I watched this movie on Amazon Prime. Joey, how did you watch it? I also watched it on Amazon for Prime for free. Yeah, and and it's not free anymore. Do you do you remember why it was free? I do not know. I think
1: it was just you know a promotional thing. We're like, hey, uh, this movie <laughs> that you should watch. It's free now. I don't I don't know why they do stuff like that, but it was it was for. Well, how would like,
0: you know, or was it just random chance? I um, get a newsletter
1: sent to me from the New York Times, and they mentioned it at the end. They said. Hey, you should watch "Do the Right Thing," and also it's free on Amazon. And I said, "Oh, that sounds like a great deal."
0: Yeah, so it is a great deal. Free—you can't beat a price like free. Um, and in fact, that's the price that we set our podcast at, which makes True. it a great—it's a great price. People always love that when they listen. Um, we are
1: internally consistent,
0: but <laughs> but they, um, yeah, it's, I think it's a very good time to recommend and make a movie like this free um, because it's very appropriate for this moment uh, that our country is going through. But it's not free anymore, so you missed your chance. That's right. Well, the moment's over, too, right? I'm sure a lot of corporate America (laughs) would love for us to go back to normal. Anyways, Joey, why don't you give us the synopsis for Do the Right Thing? It's hot. As temperatures rise, so do tempers in this small, interconnected, and interracial block in Brooklyn. That's Do the Right Thing. Let's get it started with our pros and our cons. Joey, what did you like about Do the Right Thing? This movie is a powerful story told simply. It's got great characters,
1: a wonderful dynamic between each of them. The story is very well contained, and on the surface, at least, its stakes are really small. Uh, But the implications are clear, and the metaphors make it a story that all can see no matter where they go in the world. And the writing is dynamic and feels so real, and it's told really creatively and utilizes the medium really, really well. What about you?
0: Yeah, I agree. the The characters are really distinctive. Um, the The message is righteous without being too preachy. Um, and one of the things I love about the like Spike Lee's style here is he spends time appreciating the realness of this world he's immersing you in, um, which is you know especially done well through the attention to the heat. And um, I feel like the movie is very well planned out. It's kind of amazing looking back at this movie once you. You know, get to the end and realizing it all happened within one day. Um, yeah, it feels like he was able to put so much together in there and have it all happen linearly and uh, effectively. I think is great. Okay, one day, one block. That's right. What about cons, Joey? What did you What did you not like about Do the Right Thing? The things I didn't like about this movie are like really
1: broad strokes. And first one is my this question: Does subtlety work? Right? If I had watched this movie. Even like three months ago, I don't know if it would have resonated with me the same way it does now, and I don't know like my my opinions on protesting and you know looting and rioting have completely flipped since then because I understand them in a different context now. And this movie shows that same thing, um, but it doesn't tell you how to feel about it, which I think is which normally I feel good about. You know, I want uh, um, filmmakers to respect their audience, but I don't know if you're talking about a subject as important as race, if that's something that's really that responsible. Um, so, Spike Lee does leave the opening, the ending kind of open and vague. Um, and although some people might think that the, uh, the answer is obvious, I think the fact that only some people think that is proof that it is vague. Um, and so, is that really the best approach when you're trying to tell a story like this? I don't know. Um, I think I got what he was trying to say, but I don't know if I would have three months ago, and I don't know if anyone, if other people do as well. The other thing is, is Mookie a harmful stereotype? So you see him, like Mookie's character, is complex, like the most, like the most of the other characters. Um, but he's lazy. Uh, he, like he actually is lazy. He takes forever to deliver pizzas, even if they're like right next door to him, and like. Um, he's kind of an absent father, right? His um, baby mama won't, like, doesn't get any support from him, you know, hardly ever sees him, hardly ever sees his child and everything. He seems like he doesn't really want to be there you know, to, to help out with that, even though it's his responsibility. You know, that's a stereotype that's often attributed to the black community, uh, you know, completely unfairly, as all stereotypes are. But M- Mookie embodies that in a real way. So I think what this does is kind of taints his um, actions at the end of the movie. You know, when you're asking yourself, did Mookie do the right thing? Is uh, his actions before, are his actions before that consistent with someone who does the right thing? You know what I mean? I thought, yeah, so, I thought it was
0: an interesting. I, I couldn't really connect the dots. It was like, why are we pointing out that he's such a bad father? If and, you know, and, and it's not even that he's like Nick like bad to his kid or mean to him or anything Mm -hmm. like that it's like he just doesn't want to even be present um which again I was like okay but why
1: yeah 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 so I don't know what the purpose of this was I think making the character that you play as a director you know Spike Lee is plays Mookie um making him non-sympathetic or have flaws is a obviously a great choice. I love it when directors put themselves or demean themselves a little bit in the role that they're in. Um, But I still don't know if that's really the most effective way to to approach this. Um, I don't know, but maybe maybe the lesson is even someone who isn't um, yeah you know it doesn't have all of these things in order you know isn't a perfect person can still do the right thing maybe that's the lesson we're supposed to take away I yeah. don't know
0: I do like how he makes the characters in this all people you know nobody's perfect everyone has their flaws yeah. so um, well my biggest uh, con about do the right thing was in a movie where you have such complex characters it's unfortunate that the female characters pretty much uniformly don't have any agency. Uh, It would have been nice to see some of them a little bit more fleshed out and used, you know, as more of people than more of just like, you know, a sexual object in one moment or, you know, just a stand in to represent motherhood. So I feel like I say that about so many movies, but it still feels like it's worth pointing out.
1: It's still true. That's why it's worth pointing out. (laughs) It happens a lot. Yep very common okay
0: well that wraps up the pros and the cons let's move on to our overall section Joey take it away okay um, I really like this
1: movie I know I've mentioned this before but film to me is being utilized as a tool best when it seeks to show something we cannot otherwise conceive film that explores a central idea or theme I- like completely is one that buries itself into your self-conscious subconscious and changes your perspective Sometimes that is something super abstract, like, what if time doesn't work the way you think? Or, you know, what if superheroes were around to save us from, the, from you know, the evils that are coming from space or something? But these are mere distractions. Do the right thing is focused, simple, and ends with a burning question. All things that I believe great cinema should always do. But it is undeniably real as well. is in some ways more real than the very real stories you hear in the news. Uh, I think it's a perfect example of the power that fiction holds as a concept um, and its importance in our world. So I want to talk briefly about some of the technical aspects of this movie. It's shot really well. It's very competently. There are all sorts of unique and interesting angles and perspectives. There's lots of kind of breaking the fourth wall that Spike Lee does very strategically. That still feels very much part of the movie. You never really feel like you're outside of it. You really do feel like you're in the neighborhood. Yeah, it takes place in a very real place. Um, and it has very, very real characters. Yeah. Yeah
0: no i I totally agree like it's one of the most striking things about this movie to me is that like a lot of movies are set on immersing you in a fictional setting and doing this world building but spike lee sets out to immerse you in the real world like the movie takes so like throughout uh not just like in the beginning to get you into it throughout the movie consistently takes time to appreciate the mundane and insignificant to help fully ground you uh in the reality of this movie.
1: Yeah, and it's all character driven too. And I mean, all of these people in this movie are definitely characters. And although you don't spend a ton of time with any of them except for Mookie, Demare, and the Pizza Boys, but you're left with this sense that everyone in this neighborhood is complex and has their own set of stories. Um, nobody's left one dimensional or just a stereotype uh, or like a monolith, um, so Lee really succeeds by making it clear that this is just an ordinary day. A tiny, tiny snapshot of these people's lives. You know, It's almost as if, if you had watched this movie uh, the next day, if you watched it again, then it would be a completely different set of circumstances. Um, but it might end the exact same way. And I think Spike Lee is a really, really talented director. I think it's really easy for a movie like this to come across as cringy or preachy, like you said before. It definitely doesn't it's a very funny movie it's a very it's enjoyable to watch um and it's full of these tiny moments that build up the characters to make the ending just that much more tragic but it's not you know it's not hard to watch it's not like a slog um it's not got this depressing tone it's not watching some man disintegrate in front of you like we did with For- <laughs> Unforgiven uh, it's just a normal day with normal people talking about normal yeah, stuff
0: and it's I mean it definitely uh shows you the authenticity that Spike Lee brings to this kind of movie like you can tell he's from this community um it feels it, feel, it, it right. feels like you just drop straight into it and not like this is what i think black people talk about or say or do uh in bed style. yeah yeah exactly
1: right and that's the thing is like he knows this community and he's really really well at communicating that you know it's it's one thing to understand how people think it's another thing to communicate that in a way that's so effective because it's that's what i think i'm so amazed by is that he's able to make it entertaining, and also have this great message at the end that really burns with you, you know, really sits with you. Um, I think that's just, like, that just shows how much talent he has. So in the DVD commentary of this movie, uh, Spike Lee says that only white viewers ask him, did Mookie do the right thing? And I still think this is worth asking, even if it's obvious to some people. Um, one of the wrinkles I see with this is uh, some people say that Mookie saved Sal's life. So what do you what do you? Yeah, think
0: initially that? I didn't make the connection between like throwing the trash can through the window and saving Sal's life. Um, to me, it, it it kind of just continued to escalate, and Mookie was a part of that. But when you frame it like that, then I think yeah, it you are doing the right thing if your express intent was to redirect anger that was initially pointed directly at Sal and his you know his human his mortal life. Versus sure. pointing it at property. And obviously I think that property destruction is a, you know, it's less of an evil than straight up murder. Um, but I don't think right. I've, I was, I, th- I think I'm a little bit more aligned with what Spike Lee says white people are asking. Like I I was undecided. I, I was, I thought it was kind of uh, up in the air, up for interpretation. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't get
1: the sense that Mookie was saving Sal's life. You know, it wasn't like there was some sort of exchange there or anything, or like, I, I, like the temperature was definitely hot at that point. Nice. You know, it was the sun was going down, but it was well, still maybe hot. And Mookie doesn't say
0: like, "Hey, don't kill Sal, kill the buildings." Right, right, like, right,
1: right. He doesn't. I mean, that'd be pretty obnoxious. Maybe he doesn't need to say that, but it wasn't obvious to me that that's what he was doing. Right. It just seemed like he was another piece in the puzzle. Right. I think to me. Like What's obvious to me now, and maybe wouldn't have been even three months ago, is asking if Mookie did the right thing is asking the wrong question. There are tons of other characters in this movie. It's littered with all these complex characters. And each of them had a part to play in Radio Rakim's death. Um, Some just stood by, some tried to help, and some actually killed him. So, you know, one of these things is not like the other. Um, everything in this movie happens very gradually. It's, it all builds toward a certain event, um, but it's a very natural escalation until it's not, right? Like, if you think about just the natural like progression of the moment, of you know, first uh, Buggin' out shows up with Radio Rakim to demand that they put. Black people's pictures on the wall. Maybe the way he did that. Maybe his request is unreasonable. Right? Did he do the wrong? Did he do the right thing? I don't know. But it certainly wasn't. Um. The it certainly wasn't necessarily wrong. Right? Sal's reaction to that and destroying the the boot the boombox probably not the right thing. You know. Also understandable. Like, I understand where he came from with that. It certainly was frustrating. Them fighting in the street also understandable. Right. This is something that Radio Rakim cares a lot about. It's part of his identity, you might even say, uh, that he cares around radio. Um, and you know, they're fighting in the street because they're both very upset. You know, that makes sense to me too. Suddenly, R- Radio Rakim is killed by the police. Right? That's like, you know, like you're at kind of a like a gradual kind of curve. You like imagine you're going up a little bit. You know, going up the hill. Suddenly, you're at a cliff. You know, suddenly it's escalated beyond anything that's happened before. It is just. Phew, you know blows everything else out of proportion and then at that point there's the you know there's the the destruction of sal's building the looting and and fire and all of that like that all feels like again a natural thing a natural reaction to what just happened you know you're already at that level right to go back down doesn't even make sense because like you're not acknowledging the life
0: that was just right if you want to stop the building from getting burned down how about don't kill radio Rahim? Right. And and while we're talking about it, I feel like we have to explicitly say it like it is depressing enough that police officers will kill an unarmed black man in this country. And it's been something that's been going on for a long time. But to have it be exactly the same, to have Eric Garner and even more recently, George Floyd die from the same way from an officer choking them out. It's again. It's it's horrible enough that they're already being murdered, but the fact that it's this similar and it has gone on for this long, totally being in this public's consciousness, but also completely unchanged, um, you know, is is ex- it's so deeply disturbing and adds even more urgency to this moment where we're saying if we can g- if we're moving the needle now, we need to make sure that we keep it moving and actually get some change going because it the status quo yeah, yeah. is strong. Well,
1: it's just. It's just proof that things perpetuate, right? That if you don't do anything, then it just keeps happening. Um, yeah. So, the, well, after Eric Gardner died in 2014, Spike Lee actually cut together the video footage of uh, of him dying with Radio Raheem, and um, and like for CNN, so they could play it and show like the similarities between the two because it was very similar. Like it was a chokehold. Um, it's just like. It's nuts. It's so, it's like oh, I predicted this by the way, and like this awful, terrible tragedy. Like, you know, uh, yeah. By the way, I saw this coming from a mile away. But also, like this, this mo, this uh, this event, Radio Rahim's death, is. Modeled after us, uh, I think, of somebody named Michael Stewart who was killed by the police in a very similar way um, before this movie came out. So this was based on something else that Spike Lee was familiar with. Also, in a uh, interview that I I watched with him, which he did just a few days ago, actually, um, which is like around the 31st anniversary of this movie's release, um, th- one of the, the interviewer asked him how he feels about making a movie that's timeless, and Spike Lee says, "Well, it's a real indictment of America, isn't it?" <laughs>
0: yeah it's um it does it definitely does feel timeless it's um again that was probably the most shocking part of this whole movie was to see that exact same action being taken as to something that's still causing a movement now um yeah exactly
1: it really it is kind of amazing. I mean, not just that, but the whole the whole movie does feel timeless, right? It does feel like it's set at any at any point. The like the the clothes they're wearing, um, like the stuff they're talking about, all that stuff is still very relevant. Um, it's really not that it's not really not that been lo- been that long. But
0: you know, also nothing has changed. Right. So, do you think Sal should have put a picture of someone black on his Hall of Fame? Does boycotting Sal's make sense in this situation?
1: So. This was actually like the boycott of the um, pizzeria is kind of based on a real thing, so I this I was going to save this for later, but I can I can talk about it right now. Um, so Spike Lee was inspired to do to write do the right thing by what is now known as the Howard Beach incident on December twentieth, nineteen eighty six. A mob of twelve angry white men chased down and beat three black men who had just left a pizzeria in the predominantly Italian American community. Um, during the pursuit, the mob forced one of their victims, Michael Griffith, to uh, run into the Belk Parkway where he was struck by a car and killed. In the behind the scenes footage of Do the Right Thing, um, Lee recalls the protests led by Reverend Al Sharpton and the call for all African Americans to boycott white owned pizzerias, an act that inspired the scene in which Bugging Out instigates a boycott itself so that's like it's kind of reminiscent of that also um at the end of the movie uh, all the people in the street are yelling howard beach howard beach uh, which is a you know a reference to all of this pizzerias italian-owned pizzerias is a kind of a um motif you might say in racism <laughs> um so i like i don't know Like, bugging out doesn't seem like he has the uh moral high ground like as if the, as the people do in the howard beach incident um I don't know if he really has a leg to stand on. I i am of the opinion that, you know, it's Sal's restaurant. He can do what he likes. But at the same time, like his he relies heavily on the African-American community in his neighborhood. He's very, you know, everything uh, um, he does is kind of for them. Right. He, I don't know. You don't talk about he doesn't talk about his heroes, but his son Pino talks about how a lot of his heroes are black. Right. That like. If so, if Pino was running the restaurant, then maybe he would have black people on the wall. Like that's the, that's kind of the difference here. Like is is he acknowledging that these people matter to him or not? Um, So, from that perspective, then I think he should. But at the same time, like he's kind of had he's kind of put his foot in the sand and said, okay, you know, um, this is a uh, wall full of Italian Americans, right? Because I that's important to me, and I'm an Italian American. So, like from that perspective, then maybe it does need to be exclusive. I don't know. Um, you know, if you, if the situation was flipped and, you know, it was a black owned restaurant, would you expect him to have white people on the wall? Would, would that be an appropriate thing to ask for? Um, I don't know. And I, but I also don't know if that's the equivalent either, because like, you know, black people have historically marginalized and ignored yeah. from history. Um, it's always so, a contentious
0: issue. Like, like. It is. That's okay And, that's and, the and thing. I mean, one thing that's important <laughs> to know is that the the community likes his pizza. The community supports and basically is his entire clientele. Yeah, Bugging Out likes his pizza. He eats. He buys pizza from him yeah. and eats it
1: before he decides to so, boycott. And, and again, yeah, <laughs> I think
0: that the sentiment of like it's your business, you should be able to do the things you want. Sure, that's great. Um, I totally agree with that. But if it was my restaurant and I was in that situation, again, I'm not an Italian, proud Italian American. I would think I would. Easily be like, Yeah, you're right, dude. You know, it's nineteen eighty nine. Pretty sure Michael Jordan has won at least a couple of uh NBA championships (laughs) at that point. We'll put him up there, put the other MJ up there, Michael Jackson as well. Like those are two easy ones just off the top of my head. Um it's it's almost like again, and I think this is more just a commentary for me. It's just like it doesn't feel like something that I would want to put a line in the sand, but again, I'm not these people, so I can't understand their perspective.
1: Yeah, well, that's the thing, too, I think, that makes this decision harder, is that it seems like it's so innocuous. You know, it seems like it doesn't matter one way or the other. Um, but, you know, symbolism is important. Um, so I think Out has something to say. I think he's not totally in the wrong. But I don't know if he's, he's really got, you know, the moral high ground here. I don't know. It's... Um, I think it's worth the conversation is worth having. I I don't think the way he approached it w- w- was effective at all. You know, if he had been uh you know a little more considerate of of Sal, then maybe Sal would have you know budged a little bit. But because of the way he talked to him, um, he, Sal was unlikely to move. Um, you know, maybe that anger is warranted, um, but it's hardly ever does you know shouting at someone change their mind.
0: Right. <laughs> i mean maybe that's the commentary is like hey maybe these are things that are worth fighting for but you know figure out the best way to go about solving them don't just
1: yeah but that also seems like a shitty thing to say doesn't it it's like <laughs> hey this thing that's like you know it impacts your entire livelihood like be more careful about it like have you considered my feelings <laughs>
0: um another another character i think is worth at least bringing up is uh sam jackson's character which is uh the mr senor love daddy um Mm -hmm. and he plays an interesting role because he's almost like the observer he is uh not necessarily omniscient but he spends the entire movie inside of a box kind of contained uh you know or protected from the rest of the uh you know uh, events that happen Uh, he interacts with Mookie once but other than that he's just kind of omniscient and one of the things that I wanted to or I thought it was interesting was appreciating all the different black artists where he goes on this long, oh, yeah. long, long list of important black artists. And that's, you know, this is in 1989. And there's, if you were going to make that list again, you would have a whole bunch more names to add to I mean, it. I
1: mean- you know, at least
0: twice as long. Yeah, well, and I think it's it's important because especially with um like R&B and hip hop, but even beyond that, there is so much music that is inspired by the black community that is later co-opted and then try like reclaimed or you know,
1: Elvis was a hero to most.
0: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And um even though this this movie isn't necessarily about that, it it I'm glad they included that. I think that it it takes the character of um, Mr. Senior Love Daddy uh, and takes him beyond just being a fun character and makes him, uh, you know, that much more meaningful. I
1: did like that a lot too. You know, it's like, there are all these people out there, all these role models out there that we can you know, model our lives after. And the list just seems so exhaustive. You know, there's just so many and it just
0: keeps going. Um, I, uh, I think that's awesome. Yeah. And uh, it's, a, it's a
1: powerful moment. It
0: is another character that uh, I thought was interesting was DeMaire and Trying to figure out what he represents, because uh, I think one thing that's important to note, like note about DeMeyer, is that he is older you know he's a different generation than most of the characters that we interact with so he's okay boomer yeah exactly he had he's been through it (laughs) um in a different way that that some of these other guys have especially in that confrontation he has with the young uh magic johnson fan where the magic johnson fan gives him the bootstrapping argument and says that he put himself in this situation it's his fault he's uh, like worthless and a waste of time and i i don't like that obviously he he refutes it in his way but i i really i i think it's important to talk about why that's not cr- true because de yeah he is a drunk and maybe currently isn't like creating any sort of value but i think we put a little bit too much stock in how enterprising people are de is a is a it, from all observations he is a positive impact on his community you know he interacts with people tells them like little nuggets hey, of truth hey
1: always do the right thing. do the
0: right thing and saves that kid from getting hit by a car so i i don't know i think spike lee might be trying to make the argument here that maybe you can be up you know live a positive life or lead a meaningful life without it necessarily leading to like material wealth um
1: yeah well that that scene between him and the magic johnson fan i don't know if that, that character is even named um he um like uh, to me that was like a that that conversation was based in fear, right? I like, I see a little bit of myself in in Mare and therefore, like, I need to refute that and show how like I can. I'm not going to end up like him, you know. I don't think if you didn't see some sort of truth to that, or like that you were, if you weren't afraid of that, then you wouldn't say anything. Um, so I, I I saw that as like kind of a, a voice of his own insecurity in that moment, um, and his own fear of how he could end up just like Mare does on this on the stoop. But I think you're right. Like he, he may not have the most, and maybe he's struggling. But he's still influencing his community in a positive way, and he's still like sort of a alternate version of success in a way. Um, and you know, the ideal of living a good life without all of the trappings of that that are so commonly attributed to it
0: definitely I mean he could you could argue he's a little bit like the dude where maybe he's not living the life that's like you know on the outside hey, if the
1: dude had told me to do the right thing then maybe I'd like that movie more
0: <laughs> <laughs> um but you know just going a little bit with the, I don't want to get too off topic but like that kind of mindset where it's not necessarily about you know it's like being yourself and living the life you want to live um I like Demare and um so that's Uh, uh, going on this list of amazing characters, I think we have to bring up the old heads who are always uh, talking shit together. The guys who... Sweet Dick Willie is one of them and then the other two guys... I love that
1: name. How did you get that name? (laughs) Sweet Dick Willie.
0: And... um, (laughs) I mean, they, they talk about hilarious stuff like they like I could beat up Mike Tyson uh, denying climate science. How are you going to like afford to buy a boat arguing over what temperatures are appropriate for intercourse? Spoiler alert. It's all of them. Um, these guys are they get they feel real. This is where some of that like really authentic like, OK, these this this is almost like. I don't know. This is just great dialogue because it sounds like you're really sitting down with these three actual like old heads who are just talking shit while they're sitting around on a hot day, you know? And yeah, yeah. It's even though, like I'm, I'm glad that we got to see enough of them because they're very su- like minor roles, but they show up a few different times. And one of the most interesting scenes with them for me was when they observe the uh, Korean family that just started a business and how they compare their life and and their achievements to this family that just showed up and already owns a good business in what used to be an abandoned building. So mm-hmm. um, I actually follow this YouTuber named Sneeko and he's an Asian American and he did an episode recently where he talked with another Asian YouTuber, Jimmy Zhang, about the police officer in the george floyd case who was an asian american and kind of stood by and they talked about at least in their experience as asian americans how their parents kind of pushed this uh, mentality on them which is like stay quiet stay focused and get the bag ignore the injustices of your community or the community that you now live in you're being raised in and focus on your own success and i think that partially comes out here i'm not i'm not saying spike lee is trying to indict the asian community but um it's perpetuated here this these they are able to show up in a community where there are plenty of uh, african americans living in squalor and they're able to pop up a little bit faster and i and um it they also talk about this idea of asians being used as kind of like a token race like the the counter example to systemic racism mm. to say well you know the reason why african americans aren't doing good is because of their own fault look at asians they showed up and d- and did so good um but according to uh sneeko and jimmy they're saying asians are treated a little bit more white and it's and they they accept that privilege and try to you know and they do better because of it, and they don't try to turn and use their uh, privilege to help the other communities that don't have it. Um, Sure. So I I just thought this was interesting. Although Spike Lee doesn't explicitly say, here's why the Asian community is doing better, or here's why these old heads can't seem to start their own business. He kind of just throws it out there and lets you draw your own conclusions.
1: Yeah, and I think like one of the things I think people have a misconception about is that like other races don't see the like the unbalance as much you know and i think it's like showing this the scene where they're they're trying to um they're they're like, discussing why none of them have started a business in that same place you know why did he got this guy who came in here later than all of them start a business sooner and is suddenly successful um you know they, they turn that like that uh the problem back on themselves they call themselves lazy or each other lazy or like they mm-hmm. they don't have any idea about how to do anything or all this stuff so like it's that internal like you know switch kind of thing I And mean, who knows why that happened maybe they're right maybe you know none of them are that enterprising but it's also possible that like they were disenfranchised and that the opportunity just wasn't there for them or for someone else in the community that wanted to do it you know maybe that opportunity just didn't exist um and but it's not clear to them why. It's but it's clear to them that there is some sort of unbalance. I think that's really interesting. Yeah.
0: The last thing I want to talk about in our overall section before moving on is the like explicit racism scene. Uh, racist but, epithet t- scene. Yes. Um and it's visceral, man. Like this was uncomfortable to watch. And I think that that is the point here is instead of saying hey wouldn't it's bad to be mean to people because of their race don't do it that preachy version instead right. they're like hey how about you try it how about you be on the receiving end cuz you are the camera is your in first person point of view they're saying it directly to you so you get to you get to see what it's like to be um, you know black or italian or you know any other of these minorities that they talk about and have people just hate you for what you are
1: yeah this happens like at the hottest part of the day right it's like almost right in the middle um and uh, in that interview that i mentioned earlier that spike lee was talking about this scene he said that a lot of the actors were um uncomfortable doing it um and i mean that makes sense they were seeing a lot of like they weren't seeing a lot of like necessarily slurs as much as they were just kind of creatively describing other races (laughs) um but it's still like, it still is very uncomfortable. Um, but he says that this scene, the reason why he did it in the first person was because he was trying to express what he thought the audience might be thinking at that moment um, and turning it back on themselves, right? You're looking into a mirror just as much as you are receiving that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really powerful. And it doesn't take you really out of the movie. It's it's weird. You know, it's not something you usually see, but it. It feels very much like part of it, and you feel like you're suddenly, like as as it goes on, you're starting to understand like what he's trying to do with it. It's pretty interesting. Well, it's, it's just it's really powerful. stuff.
0: Exactly. Well, it's just like you said earlier. It Spike Lee has you know complete control over this medium, and this is a yeah. great use of changing the perspective of the camera. So. That uh, finishes off our overall section. Let's move on to our cool Easter eggs. And I have the first one. And speaking of actors being uncomfortable during the filming of this movie, um, the not sex scene, but I will say steamy, sexy scene um, with Tina, where uh, Mookie is rubbing ice cubes all over her. Rosie Perez said the reason why her face is not in the, in the shot with her boobs in it is because she felt really uncomfortable at this scene. And she was actually crying during that shot, which made me totally want to throw that scene out. Not only because <laughs> like, I don't know. There, you can argue like art is suffering or whatever, but I don't think this scene was that necessary. You know, it definitely is. It, it's, it just seemed like Spike Lee wanted to put some boobs on screen and it, you know, I don't know if uh, Rosie Perez knew about this scene before she signed on, but could have done without it, I think. Definitely. This was her
1: first movie. She had done TV shows and stuff, but this was her first movie. Um, and her career, like, launched after this, too. Um, p- probably partially because of this movie, at least. And, But, yeah, it definitely is kind of abusive to, for him to force her to do this when it really doesn't, like, drive the narrative very much, you know? Um, so... It is uh, It is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable It's uncomfortable to watch, and it's also uncomfortable going yeah. to contest. Yeah, I mean,
0: I was going to watch this. After seeing this movie, I was like, oh, man, this is a great movie. And I went and visited my folks. I finally broke quarantine, and I said, have you guys seen Do the Right Thing? And they're like, no, do you want to watch it this weekend? And I was like, yeah. And then stopped halfway through. I was like, ah. <laughs> I don't know if I want to I you guys can watch like it on your own like
1: boobs like in your yeah, eyes exactly, you
0: know? yeah exactly <laughs> my m- both my pupils were replaced by nipples and then I was like okay you guys can watch it on your own um, you know and, and again maybe I, there was there's a lot going on watching a movie was not my main priority that weekend but I it made, I was hesitant because of this scene which again I feel like is totally unnecessary
1: All right I got um I got some more uh, Easter eggs Well, uh, we'll start with my favorite one. (laughs) Maybe I should have say that. (laughs) Okay. So outside of Sal's um, uh, pizzeria, there's this uh, graffiti that says, Tawana told the truth. Um, And I looked up what this is from. Uh, This is a reference to a 1987 incident with a woman named Tawana uh, Brawley. Um, who accused four white men, including police officers and a prosecuting attorney, of raping her, leaving her in a trash bag with racial slurs written all over her. She was only 15, um, and, on, and the bag was also full of feces. The uh, grand jury that presided over the trial uh, ruled that she had made it up and that it didn't happen. Um, I didn't read through all of the controversy that went through this. It was—it's a very complicated case. Uh, Reverend Al Sharpin, who I re- referenced before, actually like was on the prosecuting side, like helping Tawana. Um, but it's still a source of tension about you know whether she was telling the truth or not. Um, knowing the uh, history of this um, country and the history of police and their accountability, uh, it does not seem unlikely that she was. Uh, that this actually happened, so it's a uh, it's a crazy thing. It only happened two years before this movie came out, um, and so very much in people's minds about the the role of the police in uh, black communities.
0: Yeah, it's that's extremely upsetting. Like uh, it's almost like a Mad Libs of like awful things that you could do to somebody. Um, but <laughs> that's a terrible way to say. It. I mean, it is like who puts it? Where'd they get the feces? Like.
1: Uh, like it's just, they ruled it wasn't. It wasn't human. I think they found out it wasn't human.
0: Still, like it's such so cruel, so and unusual. But, um, you know, I guess it is powerful to put something like that in this movie you know to, to, to yeah well some it truth shows the
1: divide right so like she said they're saying tuan told the truth so somebody clearly believed that she was telling yeah. the truth where you know the the majority or whoever said that she well, had it in so. the way
0: like you said especially recently it doesn't seem like the cops are always you know held accountable so which you know again it, yes again don't know much about it
1: um i got another i got another one these are from wikipedia uh, the scene where Buggin' Out confronts the white Celtics fan about scuffing his Air Jordans is parodied in the music video for the 2008 Nelly song, Step to My Jays. Um, so that's kind of cool, right? A new reference <laughs> yeah. more recently?
0: And the, the Celtics fan, like it's interesting that all the characters... like it, There's definitely intention put into the jerseys that these characters are wearing. Um, and of course, he's wearing a Larry Bird jersey, which is a prominent white NBA player. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: No, I lo- I do love that scene. I love how they confront him and everything. It's pretty good. Um. So in 2016, Air Jordan released a special Radio Raheem sneaker based on the colors of the shirt that he wears in the film. So
0: that is such a hey. cool shirt. That would be a cool piece of like movie uh, paraphernalia to own. Oh yeah, to the, have that like framed or something. Yeah, the Bed Stuy t-shirt. I mean, if you live in Bed Stuy, I I wonder. I don't know. Would that be tacky? I feel like it would be cool to wear a Radio Raheem shirt.
1: I don't know. Maybe. I don't know if people would get the reference. Maybe they would. In 2014, the 25th anniversary of the film, Barack and Michelle Obama praised the film and said that they went to see it together on their first date. Um, this is re- later referenced in the 2016 film South Side with You, uh, which is about uh, Barack Obama and Michelle um, falling in love. And they features this movie as on their first date, uh, which is pretty interesting. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, it's powerful. Um, they, they like. In the movie, Barack's character, the character who plays Barack Obama, or the actor who plays Barack Obama, like uh, opines about what the movie means. Uh, one of the things he says is that he tells. I think he tells one of his white friends that it was he that Mookie threw the uh, trash can to save Sal's life, but later tells Michelle that he did it because he was angry. So, interesting little mm. dynamic there. Kind of captures the two sides of this uh, argument pretty well. Um, Mookie makes another appearance in a 2012 film, uh, Red Hook Summer, where he is shown delivering pizzas. According to Lee, Sal took the insurance money from his burned down pizzeria, reopened the restaurant in Red Hook, and then he rehired Mookie, Mookie agreeing to put black celebrities on the Wall of Fame. So, Happy hey, ending. It all turned out and good. It turns, in the and end.
0: Mookie says, You know what? After I finish <laughs> delivering this pizza, I'm going to go hang out with my son. Uh, right.
1: And do the right, right and, thing. And
0: my wife, who I married and now always spend a lot of time, yeah. Yes, made an honest and woman also, out of and she doesn't have to and work she doesn't the have yeah i don't film her while i touch her boobs anymore uh so it, wow i'm so glad that red hook summer gave us the unofficial happy ending for this one <laughs> totally necessary
1: uh, <laughs> yeah it does seem a little like you know fan servicey in a way um this is not the only time that uh sal's pizza has been referenced in other um spike lee movies either in uh, that movie inside man which i know is one of your mm. favorite movies uh with denzel washington uh i think one of clive owen they it's like it's like a big bank heist a movie and one of the points one of the parts is they uh they deliver pizzas and
0: it's from south yeah, it's pizza one unit. of the, it's so, a classic um demand of the you know whenever you have hostages you're like we want <laughs> yeah. bring us pizza and then they're
1: like okay we gotta hide bugs in the pizza and then they like get the pizza and they're like we found all the bugs and they like tear them out and <laughs> you know all that stuff or they just feed them to the hostages and they're like the hostages are the bugs now. <laughs> and just I don't know, that's my fictional heist movie.
0: Going back <laughs> to my opinion on that movie. When I first saw it, I mean, I knew it was a Spike Lee movie then, but my opinion of Spike Lee has changed a lot since then. So, I don't know. It's been a, I really did not like that movie when I saw it, but I don't I thought it was cool. I don't put a lot of really stock cool. in my opinions of movies from when I was younger. So, um, okay. I'll just leave it at that. We'll have to do
1: it later for the podcast. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, let's move on to our songs. So we got. There's one song that's featured prominently in this movie. Um, it's. I think I looked up this term. It's called a elite motif. Uh, when you reuse the song over and over again to reinforce a certain theme. Do you say um, elite or of elite? Leet. Uh, L i e t. I believe. Uh, okay. Motif. Uh, you, you remember that? Uh, the the classic. Um, Bubble Boy, and they kept playing that Blink One Eighty Two song. <laughs> that is a perfect example of elite motif.
0: I guess this is growing up. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the most they're explicit. They're like this movie is about coming of age. <laughs> 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 okay, so, I, so this okay, one anyway, all? So just like Bubble Boy, taking a page out of Bubble Boy's book.
1: This is done way better. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's really cool. So. The, the, mo- the song is Public Enemies Fight the Power, which was written explicitly for this movie. Um, actually, most of the movie was filmed before they actually had the song for it. So in that interview I mentioned earlier, Spike Lee talks about how Radio Raheem is carrying around that boombox, uh, but there's no music coming out of it until the post-production. Uh, so uh, all of that is like, you know, just the actors reacting to basically nothing. Uh, or maybe they had some sort of stock thing in there and they, they posted over it. Who knows? But... Um, he approached his uh, Spikely approached his friends at Public Enemy um, and asked them for an anthem, um, because what he was trying to do was create a song for the moment. Uh, he said that like he, he says uh, uh, in New York at least, which I what I think is probably true everywhere. There's always like a song that's for the summer. You know, oh, yeah. it's like this song is like. It per- permanates over a couple of months, and it's like this is the song we hear over and over again, um, you know, throughout the year or on the radio or whatever. So he wanted to make that song um, or have that song for this movie, and so that's what "Fight the Power" became. There was another song that was uh, that the Heat, that Public Enemy gave him first, but he rejected it, um, and eventually they came back with this one. And it has a lot of. It's played over and over again, uh, which I think is good because at least someone who's speaking as someone who doesn't listen to a lot of rap, it takes me a long time to understand the lyrics when rap songs are playing um so when they play it over and over again i get a better understanding what the song is really about um and one of the lyrics i really like which i'm going to recite here is most of my heroes don't appear on no stamps sample a look back sample a look back you look and find nothing but rednecks for 400 years if you check don't worry be happy was the number one jam damn if i say it you can slap me right here this is, I think, this is one of the more powerful parts of the song. I think it takes it takes about a verse and a half for it to really get started, um, and it's really just about how there's no representation of Black people in in uh, culture and Black people in history. Despite, like, I heard this recently, Black people died in every like war fought for America, like the Revolutionary War, Civil War, War of eighteen twelve. All of them, like, the, no, you can't find a race more patriotic than Black people, and yet. Like, they have been excluded from history and, and shown to be not important. Um, and, you know, the, in the earlier part, he talks about John Wayne and Elvis Presley, uh, which is, you know, a very controversial take at the time. Maybe nowadays people would be more accepted to that. But back in 1989, people were like, Ooh! yeah, very much a lot of uh, pearl clutching over that lyric itself. So um, fighting the power, fight the power really. You know, sticking it to people um, back in 1989, De- which I really like. Definitely,
0: and the way the movie begins gives you time to appreciate the song as well. The Rosie right. Perez costume change, kind of, you know, ab- abstract, almost like Would you music- call that?
1: Fight dancing or or dance fighting?
0: Maybe. I mean, there's, she literally puts boxing on gloves. boxing gloves. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> I thought that was that was great because even though what you're looking at is compelling, it does give you a moment to appreciate what's being said. Throughout the entire song, because you get to hear the whole thing uh, before yeah. you even get into this uh, get into this movie. A great use of the leitmotif. motif. That's right.
1: All right, you want to move on to our
0: quotes? Let's do it. Um, and while we're talking about "Fight the Power," my first quote uh, comes from Radio Rahim when he's talking to Mookie in the street, and uh, he he notices his new uh, brass knuckles that say "Love and Hate." So he goes, and, and what's important is, is to remember when this scene happens, the camera angle shifts. You're, you're looking at Muki and Radio Rahim, but when he begins his little soliloquy, it the camera shifts into what I call Spike Lee vision and you actually get to see Radio <laughs> Rahim saying this directly to you. Um, and he says, let me, t- let me tell you the story of right hand left hand. It's the tale of good and evil. Hate. It was with this hand that Cain iced his brother. Love. These five fingers, they go straight to the soul of man. The right hand, the hand of love. The story of life is this, static. One hand is always fighting the other hand, and the left hand is kicking much ass. I mean, it looks like the right hand love is finished. But hold on! Stop the presses! The right hand's coming back. Yeah, he's got the left hand on the ropes now. That's right. Yeah, it's a devastating right, and hate is hurt. He's down. Oh, oh! Left hand hate, KO'd by love. Cool. And it's yeah. And it, you can't match. I can't match the the level of energy that Radio Rahim brings here. Uh, but I, I just thought this is a really. And it was like a, almost like a poem. Like it was very beautiful to hear this, this yeah, story yeah. of you know good versus evil, love versus hate, and you know having love win in the end.
1: Yeah, Radio Rahim played by Bill Nunn, By the way, um, I think this is a yeah. I love I love this I love this quote just from the um, like the balance aspect of like one power fighting the other and like constantly in conflict with each other and one can't exist without the other and how that like drives change as like one shifts from one side to the other really like that idea um and it's executed really beautifully here um with his brass knuckles which you you know wouldn't expect necessarily but it does um he takes it to the uh the level I hope he would if someone is wearing brass knuckles say love and hate I'm hoping they're not just doing it because it looks cool I'm hoping that they have some sort of deep metaphysical reason for it and Radio Ahim definitely (laughs) delivers on
0: that (laughs) um so my other quote that I have is not nearly as meaningful but I I wanted to bring it up because I want to you know show some more praise for the old heads who are some of my favorite characters the uh when Bug Out is asking everybody on the street to join his boycott of Sal's Famous. I'm boycotting Sal's Famous, which I love the way he says that, too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he he asks to the two guys on the left and the right, the two guys who aren't sweet Dick Willie uh, to join his boycott. And they say, no. And then he looks at sweet Dick Willie. And again, you're getting the first person point of view here where he goes, what you ought to do is boycott your damn barber, which I thought was hilarious. And he rightfully gets a, uh, you know, a high five from his buddy. Uh, you know, he really earned that one with that hilarious disc. <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> oh,
1: that's so funny. Okay, Uh, my next two quotes aren't said out loud in the movie. They're displayed at the end. Uh, One of them is from Martin Luther King Jr. and the other one is from Malcolm X. Um, And they kind of scroll over the black, like the, as after it fades to black, after uh, fading back from the neighborhood and you see the destruction of Sal's, but the rest of the neighborhood is still alive and well. Um, And here's the quotes. Violence as a way of achieving racial justice is both impractical and immoral. It is impractical because it is a descending spiral, ending in destruction for all. The old law of an eye for an eye leaves everyone blind. It is immoral because it seeks to humiliate the opponent rather than win his understanding. It seeks to annihilate rather than to convert. Violence is immoral because it thrives on hatred rather than love. It destroys community and makes brotherhood impossible. It leaves society in monologue rather than dialogue. Violence ends by destroying itself. It creates bitterness in the survivors and brutality in the destroyers. And I'm going to quote from the Malcolm X uh, quote. I think there are plenty of good people in America, but there are also plenty of bad people in America. And the bad ones are the ones that seem to have all the power and be in these positions to block things that you and I need. Because this is the situation, you and I have to preserve the right to do what is necessary to bring an end to that situation. And it doesn't mean that I advocate violence, but at the same time, I'm not against using violence in self-defense. I don't ca- even call it violence when it's self-defense. I call it intelligence. So, um, Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X are kind of like motifs in this movie. You see pictures of them uh, around uh, Smiley, the, uh, you know, the guy with the stutter, um, is, has a picture of them that he, he's always showing. And he's kind of talking about them. So, they're kind of always in the background, almost like they're watching over this neighborhood and the, the things that happen. Um, and they have quotes here, which are both very eloquent, uh, very well reasoned, but have opposite conclusions. Right? Um, you know, these two guys were very prominent in the civil rights movement and very uh, influential, um, and yet, uh, and they're working for the same thing, but that couldn't agree on how to get there. At least from this, these two quotes. So. What I think is interesting, first of all, Martin Luther King mentions hate and love in his uh, in his part, which is you know Ray Ra- Rahim is also a big fan of. Um, but they, they, the, the, there's no consensus here. There's no idea. There's no one idea to to make things better. Um, and there's a lot of gray area and a lot of room for you know interpretation about how people act and why they act that way and whether it was the right thing to do. I think either way, you can support it. Uh, you, either, either way you take your action, you can support it with some sort of meaningful quote like this. And I'll probably agree with you because it seems very real, well reasoned, but there's no way to know for sure. Um, all the thing you can do is try.
0: Yeah. It's, it's frustrating because there's no easy answer. There's no, right. Hey, this is the way to do it. And that's how we solve racism. Because if it was that easy, you would have done it by now. Twitter um, would have solved it. <laughs> truly. Just like they so- solve everything else. 288
1: uh, characters later.
0: Yeah. Racism uh, is over. So, I I don't know. I think it's powerful to juxtapose them like this and show that even though they're basically, you know, they're fighting for the same thing, they also can't really coexist. True. Um, That's the truth, Ruth. That's, yes, they're very good. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Okay, Joey. I believe you know what time it is.
1: It is time for us to go a little deeper. deeper, deeper. So, I'm titling this section, uh, but, but, but what can we do? Um, so it's frustrating watching a movie like this and not having an answer, reading this quotes and not still having the answer, you know, doing as much research as you can, still not really knowing what to do. And a lot of the times, you know, especially now there's a lots of things going around. Lots of people saying you do this, do this, do this, you know, donate to this, donate to this. Um, and I think all of this are, are great things, but sometimes it can be overwhelming. But my, so my intention with this section is to show there are things that you can do to help stop the racial inequality in our society. And although it may be difficult, that doesn't mean it's not worth doing. In fact, I would say because it's difficult, it is worth doing. So here are some examples of things you can do. Um, First of all, donate to charity. There are lots of great charities out there, lots of bail bonds out there for uh, for people that are unjustly imprisoned, imprisoned without a sentence yet, all sorts of things like that. So um, there's all these great Communities out there. There's uh, the Bail Project, and there's lots of local ones as well um, that you can support for your local communities. Um, and I definitely recommend you check those out and find one that works for you. You can also attend a protest. Um, there's protests happening all over the country, and if there isn't one happening near you, you can start one yourself. There's some inspiring pictures of people standing on the street alone with a sign, uh, a protest of one, which I think is really awesome. Obviously, we're also still in the middle of a plague, so. Be careful, wear a mask, stay away from other people as much as you can, but it's still an important thing to do. Every person, I believe every person that comes out to a protest is a, um, uh, it convinces another person to also go out. You know, it's that extra little step and your body being there showing on the line, showing solidarity with other people uh, is a powerful message um, and it's something that people cannot deny. Um, Get involved with your local government. So This is this may seem like a kind of vague thing, but your local city council holds way more power over you than uh, like anything that's happening in Washington. You know, don't pay so much attention to what's happening up there. They're all you know, they all know what's going on, really. There's a the local governments are way more uh, impactful to your daily life and. Find out what they're doing. A lot of times, they're totally unaccountable, and nobody goes to the meetings and stuff. So find out what's going on there, and you know, see if there's something that you can influence and try to help, because that's going to have a much bigger impact on the people around you. And that's really like how this happens. It's one step at a time. It, start with your small community. Start with the people that you know. You know, you know. Start with the networks you already have. That's where this stuff needs to start. And from there, it, it change like gains momentum. Also, this is uncomfortable too, but talk to your family and friends about race. Um, it, this is a time that it's become a little less taboo for that to happen, but it's something that needs to happen. Um, it's, a, it's a topic that for too long has been ignored by those who have the ability to ignore it. And it's something that um, that needs to be addressed and to, to be talked about. Uh, I got this great qu- uh, link here. It's um, Become an Ally by Changing Your Perspective and Behavior. Um, this uh, link goes to hold on. It's a, uh, a little pamphlet, like a PDF um, from racial inequality, racial equality tools. Um, and it's just how to be a white ally. There's a bunch of really great stuff on here. Some of the things is a list of what people of color want from white allies. And some of the examples are make mistakes. Uh, don't ask me to speak for my people. Uh, your body on the line, teach your children about racism, understanding, don't take it personally, you know, all that stuff. So it, there's a lot of great stuff. It's only two and a half pages. I definitely recommend you check it out. It's very easy to read and it's, it's powerful stuff. Um, I also found this really great uh, blog post from a website called be the change by Christina Marie Noel. And she talks about these kind of small internal things that you can start doing yourself to start as a white person to st- stop the stem of racism uh, around you. And one of the things is, um, uh, learning about Just teaching yourself about different things. One of those is white privilege. And she has this great quote here that I really like. Uh, It says, uh, white privilege is not just the power to find what you need in a convenience store or to move through the world without your race defining your interactions. It's not just the subconscious comfort of seeing a world that serves you as normal. It's also the power to remain silent in the face of racial inequality. It's the power to weigh the need for protest or confrontation against the discomfort or inconvenience of speaking up. It's getting to choose when and where you want to take a stand. It's knowing that you and your humanity are safe. That's, uh, I don't know, speaks a lot to me. She took this quote from um, another, art, uh, another article talking about white privilege and, and its pervasiveness. Um, and you can see, you know, racism is a moving sidewalk, you might say. If you're not working against it, then you are helping to perpetuate it. Another thing she says to read up on is racial history. Um, find out, you know, what is race exactly? Is it genetic difference? Spoiler alert, it is not. It is way more about what how long your ancestors spent in the sun than it has to do with your genetic makeup. Um, and, you know, finding out about that in the history of pseudoscience related to, you know, like... I can't remember what the, the term is. It's that that science of the of the skulls, where they like measure people's skulls to see like how intelligent they are, the, which the is totally made
0: up. Django Unchained. Yes, uh. yes.
1: <laughs> uh, all of, all like finding out about that stuff and and how it pre- perpetuates itself into the future is really important. You know, how is our society as we know it formed? You know, our country was built on the backs of slaves. Uh, you know, how does that? Um, Equate to today? How is that still happening in, in a way, or how is that you know uh, perpetuate itself into the future? And what are we told versus what really happened? Right? Can we can we really believe the things we were learned we learned in school about history? You know, there's lots and lots of different resources out there now that are really great for learning about racial history. Um, lots of entertaining stuff, stuff that's made very accessible to normal people. Um, I recommend you check out uh, all that stuff. You know, find out about racial history. Find out about um, you know, the, the past and all that, like simply knowing where that stuff comes from is a step in the right direction um, because you're fighting ignorance here. You're not fighting a, a like, a, it's no longer as systematic as it once was, right? It's not longer people perpetuating it on purpose as much as it once was. So now it's just ignorance. People have been able to ignore it for so long that there's nothing in the way of keep doing what we're doing. Take um, so take a long hard look at your community as well. Take a long hard look at your community. Um, this is stuff like, uh, your local city council, right? Are they representing their community well? If you know ten percent of your black of your community is black, uh, is your city council reflecting that? Or if they're not, then are they pushing things to uh, represent people of color? And if not, then maybe that's something you should change. Um, there's also like traditional festivals in your local area. Like, where do they come from? Are they built on a history of white supremacy? Um, you know, do a little research, find out about them and, you know, maybe canceling it is not an option, but maybe changing the perspective or maybe changing the name or changing the, um, you know, the venue or, or adding a new booth that talks about the history of this and why it's wrong. You know, all of that stuff is an option, uh, to help educate people about the world around them. Um, the other thing is that I want to say is don't let fear be an excuse for inaction just because it's hard. doesn't mean it's not worth doing. And it's, it can be scary to put yourself out there, but that's not an excuse. Um, there's so many things, so many problems that we all need to solve and it can seem overwhelming, but really those first tiny steps are the steps in the right direction. And I got,
0: I got, no, I totally agree. Like it's, it, especially after getting this huge list of resources, I think that a lot of people are probably feeling this way: is like there's too much to do. There's so much out there that needs your help, and it can it can make you almost feel immobilized by just the you know how massive the problem is. But yes. just find something that you can make a change in. You know, you only have to do. Like I want to say this, but yeah, you, go,
1: you only really have to do one thing a day, right? Like look. Look at anything, all the resources that people are putting out there. Look at some of the resources we like we've linked to, and you know, just pick one thing, something easy. Maybe that's just donating to charity because you you have that spare money for that, or maybe that's you know uh, going out to a protest. Maybe that's simply reading up on racial history. Like that's something that you can do in your house instead of watching ten hours of YouTube. You know, yeah. that's some that's something simple that's going to help move you in a direction toward racial equality and those are those things are are simple enough you know they're they're easy enough they're digestible enough it's just being aware of how you're using your time in a way
0: um to to pushing something important right and there's people all over social media right now sharing really good resources encouraging each other to take action um it's Again, it can seem like so much to do, but just pick something and, and go in that direction and see where that leads, you know, and continuously put that effort in. Don't feel like you have to do it all at once or you have to quit your job and com- fully commit to this. Like, the, you can right. make a difference even in your small way.
1: I found this other me- um, Medium article. It was 97 uh, things white people can do for racial justice. They got a couple of good ones here. Uh, one of them is uh, Ibram X. Akendi, says we need to move beyond saying racist and not racist. Instead, some white people are practicing anti-racism by one, divesting themselves of wh- white fragility and defensiveness and choosing to continue to learn and listen to black folks, and two, dismantling white supremacy in the sit- institutions around them. White supremacy is not just targeted murder of black people by police. White supremacy pervades pervades every situation uh, in places of work in schools, levels of government, banks, places of worship, etc. It is, a, is our work to dismantle white supremacy in all of these situ- institutions, not just the police. Those who are not practicing anti-racism are perpetuating white supremacy. and We cannot do the external work without doing the internal work. That's pretty powerful. There's also a uh, quote from a guy on Twitter, uh, user at It's itsjack um, on BBZ. We will uh, continue to mess up racism. So continue to be teachable, open to correction for POC people of color, um, and uh, v- vigilantly monitor yourself uh, for defensiveness and white fragility. You never arrive as an ally. You must continually practice allyship. I like this a lot too. You know, it's it's kind of a direction, not necessarily a destination.
0: Yeah. No, I agree. And also, yeah, be encouraging of the people around you who need. You know, have. We still have a ways to go, you know, right. uh, th- that's one of the things that is a little bit alarming is when this movement started to pick up momentum, there are some people who are like, I see you not participating. And that makes you a racist bigot. And it's like, well, that's not the point to put those people down. The point is to convince them to join your side. And by putting up a wall and saying you have failed and you're done for you're you're your pariah now is not productive you know
1: yeah shaming people hardly ever motivates them to do things
0: right which again i'm not saying that that's like a popular sentiment but you know resist that urge when you see someone who is so very obviously wrong you know the point here isn't to like squash them necessarily it's to help them to see what the you know the errors in their opinion and to have them join your side
1: yeah which is harder but it's it's has a bigger impact too so you've kind of touched on this a couple times but i want to. Uh, reiterate these things. I got two idioms for you. Okay. Okay. Um, first, how do you eat an elephant? Um, with, (laughs) with your friends, with your friends, (laughs) (laughs) trunk first. Um, no, you eat an elephant one bite at a time. You know, it may seem daunting to take on something as large as institutional racism, but it can be done one tiny step at a time. Um, and I think that's that doesn't that means it's worth doing. The other thing that's kind of similar sentiment, but I really like is um, the perfect is the enemy of the good. Just because we can't solve it all today doesn't mean it's not worth trying to solve some of it right now. Um, there's some steps we can take that we're going to be half measures, but that's still a, me- a step in the right direction. And maybe that extra half measure will come later. Uh, you know, we can live to fight another day. Simply. Having an all-or-nothing um, and saying I can't—it's not worth doing because I will have no effect—is the wrong attitude. Simply doing anything is better than doing nothing, and for too long, we've all been complicit in doing nothing.
0: You're right. And it's so clear to us now. It's crazy. You know, just a few months ago, because again, George Floyd was an egregious example of police brutality, but it's been happening. And we've all just kind of, he wasn't
1: the first, he wasn't the first that month.
0: Right. And and then he had, and he's not even the last one since. So it's, it's really striking. So yeah, we, we must take action and, um, you know, every little bit counts.
1: Yes. Alright, you want to deliver our ratings now? Let's do our ratings.
0: Why don't you go first? I give this movie one closed fist raised high in the air. Just like Radio Rahim when he was announcing Love's victory over hate. That's right. I like it. I think this movie was hot I give it a temperature over 100 degrees and that's a Jerry curl alert. That's right. Jerry curl alert. If you have a Jerry curl, stay in the house or you'll end up with a permanent plastic helmet on your head forever. <laughs> 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 Had to get my Mr. Senor love daddy quote in there. Um, I loved it. I'm glad we watched this movie. This was so timely. Uh, yes. Joey, what's next on affable chat? Another timely
1: feature. <laughs> We're doing Hamilton on Broadway. That's right.
0: Well, well, uh, on Netflix on Broadway. Uh, yeah, the uh, the original Broadway cast, you know, starring Lin-Manuel Miranda. Um, it's finally on Disney Plus. Actually, today as we record this, it is on there. I assume now. Uh, I know it comes out on today, the Friday. Anyways, that's gonna be our next episode. So look forward to that. If you wanna call our number and hear your voice on the podcast, well too bad it's too late. <laughs> you blew it because nobody was calling our phone number, so we went ahead and ended. <laughs> I
1: waited on I waited on hold for thirty minutes to cancel that.
0: It was, uh, it had a good run. I really did enjoy a lot of the phone calls we got, but unfortunately that is not the way that you'll contact us anymore. Okay. So throw that number out, delete it from your, <laughs> your contacts, <laughs> <From> your <phone. laughs> um, but I do want to remind everyone to subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. And wherever you
1: listen to us, make sure you leave us a review. It really helps us grow.
0: You cannot call our number, but you can still reach us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. Our, on TikTok. Yes, our our, our handle is at affablechat on all of those. Or if you're a little more old-fashioned, you can send us an email, affablechat at gmail.com.
1: You don't have to be old-fashioned to send us an
0: email. It's... Um, <laughs> <laughs> If you want to write us a letter, um, if you're that old-fashioned, well, you're out of luck. You're going to have to catch up and do an email. Go don't have a P.O. box. (laughs)
1: Um, We also have a YouTube channel where we also release these uh, podcast episodes, and we also release other videos unrelated to movies. We just did one on confirmation bias. Um, not too long
0: ago That's right It was written by Joey And produced by me So Just type in
1: Affable Chat on YouTube And you will find us We're
0: the only ones We're actually the only ones On the entire internet Named Affable Chat And
1: We're the only ones On the internet at all That's right This is the only podcast It's
0: the uh, number one podcast Because it's the only one But also makes it the Like the last place the podcast best. It's also <laughs> the worst. It's the best And also the worst Unfortunately But that's just That's our burden that's to bear a, Yeah that's right It's the cross to bear <laughs> Uh, So that's going to do it for this episode. For Affable Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening.